You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Good evening, Thorn Creek Church. Oh. Wow. Wow. Thank you, th- thank you so much. Uh, gosh, I wasn't expecting that. I, you didn't prep me for that. Jeez. Uh, guys, I just want to say, man, it's a, what a great church you're a part of here this evening. This church is different uh, than churches I've been part of before. There's so much love here. Uh, so I want you to know this is an exciting time uh, that you are here at Thorn Creek. There's a lot of good things happening. God is moving. And uh, it's just fun to be part of it. So thank you for, for letting me be part of it. I enjoy this church a lot. Let me pray, and then uh, we're going to dive into the message here. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for this church, for these wonderful people. God, and I thank you for this word you've laid on my heart to share tonight. I ask God, would you just push me aside? God, I would love for your words to be heard and not mine. So God, push me aside and and may your message, may your word, may your love come out here tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. amen. I love doing that. Good job. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about revenge. Uh, It's this word that, man, it's so prevalent, it seems like, in today's world, in today's society. Uh, It seems like it's so popular. In fact, you've probably heard someone say, eye for an eye, right? Tooth for a tooth. Make them pay for what they did. They deserve it. Or, I'm going to get even. I'm going to get mine. If you heard those things said, you've probably said those things. Revenge feels good unfortunately. And in our world today, um, people crave revenge. The truth is there's something about it that's somewhat sweet and satisfying to to know that the other person got what they deserve, so to speak. I'm speaking from the world's perspective, right? Um, People tend to love to get even or to get ahead when somebody wrongs them. Some of you may be here tonight and you're holding feelings of anger, feelings of resentment, uh, maybe you're, you're planning revenge already in your head against somebody who has wronged you at some point in your life. Um, have you ever had somebody who, who got what they deserve and you were like, ha! <laughs> maybe you didn't do that out loud, but you felt on the inside like, yes, finally, they got what they deserved. Maybe you felt a little bit guilty, maybe you didn't. Um, But have you ever struggled when you felt like justice should have happened and there was no justice? Why wasn't there justice? Why didn't they get what they deserved? They did wrong. They should have gotten it, right? Even if you struggled to admit it, you know it feels good. Uh, here's Here's a quote here. Revenge is a dangerous feeling to chase after because it sits inside of you like a caged lion ready to pounce on the next deserving victim. But in the end, all you are left with is a feeling of shame that you stooped down to their level, right? Revenge is a dangerous, dangerous thing to chase after. If you're not careful, it can literally consume you. You can become a slave to it to the point where it's all like the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning is, oh, that person wronged me. I'm going to get them back. I don't know when, I don't know how. Or maybe you find yourself standing in front of the mirror practicing what you're going to say the next time you see them. You've been there? Had that much anger in your heart, it's dangerous. I was watching the news uh, a few weeks ago. There was this road rage situation in Massachusetts. Check out this picture. There's this guy literally hanging on the hood of a car. Okay, and guess what? That is on the highway 
70 miles an hour. If you watch the video, the guy is holding onto the hood with one hand. The other hand, he pulls out his phone and he's calling the police <laughs> while he's like hanging onto this car. This happened, guys. This is real. This is our world. This is the world you guys live in. It ended very violently. Uh, it's all over a road rage situation. I don't know what started it, but man, I know we have some police officers here in the room tonight who could probably tell us, yeah, road rage happens all the time. Um, but it's, it's such a, a prevalent part of our society today for some reason. Check out these statistics. 66% of traffic fatalities, fatal, are linked with road rage. Something that is 100% preventable if we can control our temper, right? And then 80% of drivers exhibit some form of road rage every single day while they drive. It's a big issue. People like revenge. People are, are ready to, to jump at the next person who does something wrong to them. As I was watching this news story, guys, I just felt sad. The world we live in today, we're at a point now where everybody, well, not everybody, people are one second away from shouting, yelling, and screaming at a complete stranger. Somebody they don't even know, right? Somebody may have accident. maybe they didn't see you. They cut you off in traffic. Maybe they did it intentionally. But you see what I'm saying? Do you see the way our world is today? We're going to unpack this topic a little bit more. We're in the middle of a series called But I Say, which is in Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, uh, some people have said, if you can just live your life based on Matthew chapter 5, you're doing pretty good. If you can follow the, the things said in Matthew chapter 5, you're doing well. Um, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 38. It says this, You have heard the law that says that punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, so, so Jesus is talking here. He's actually referencing Leviticus chapter 24, verses 19 through 20, which says this, Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. So, Jesus is referencing the law here. Okay, This was something well known. It was something that, that lived by. Basically, it said, if you broke my wrist, I would get to break your wrist too. Okay, I couldn't break your whole arm. I could break your wrist. This law was put in place to make sure that the punishment of the crime was not greater than the crime itself. Okay, It was a simple law put in place. Um, so when Jesus says, you have heard the law, this is the one he's referring to. But Jesus is about to, to go, get a little bit controversial here. He's going to say something unexpected. By the way, Jesus is a total rebel. If you want to be a rebel, just live like Jesus did. He totally went against the norm of society, went against the, the quote-unquote rules. Jesus did what was right. If you want to be a rebel, live like Jesus. So verse 39, Jesus starts out, But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. I want to stop here for a second. This passage here has been misunderstood. Okay? It's, it's often referenced in the wrong context. People often don't understand what this passage is actually saying. So what this passage, you need to understand what a slap actually meant. Okay? So, so in this time, a slap to the face was not intended to cause physical harm. Like today, you would do it to harm somebody. Back then, in Jesus' day, it was actually an insult. It was a demeaning insult. It was the worst insult you could possibly give a person. You just put them at the lowest of the low. It was, in fact, it was even to show somebody that they are less than human in your eyes. 
okay? So Jesus is not saying if someone walks up to me and clocks me in the head, that I have to turn and let him clock me on the other side, okay? That's not what this passage is saying. It's not a verse saying that we should never defend ourselves. Make sure we understand that. Here's a quote. It says this. This was some research I did. It says this, in Jesus' day, a slap to one's face was considered a gross insult by the Jews and was among the most demeaning and contemptuous acts one person could inflict on another person. Jesus is not describing a physical attack and telling us to roll over and play dead. He's describing what was well known in culture to be a calculated insult. A slap to one's face was not intended to cause physical harm, what was intended as a terrible indignity in which one human created in the image of God is treating another human being as less than a human. And get this part, a slave would rather receive a rod or a whip across the back than a slap from their master's hand. Do you understand now why that slap was so, such a big deal? It was an insult Also, notice Jesus mentioned specifically the right cheek, okay? This is really important in this passage because most people in this day were were right-handed. So to get slapped in the right cheek meant it was a backhanded slap to the face. And and a backhanded slap was twice as insulting as slapping with the palm of your hand. It 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 was to say, you are nothing. You are the lowest of the low. I want you to imagine for a second how you would feel knowing this context, knowing the world, if someone walked up to you and backhanded you. Would you take it well? Would you stay calm? Would you turn the other cheek? Now you know the context, right? Now it means even more, doesn't it? Now that you know that this, this person was insulting you to the greatest degree. For me, my blood would be boiling. If you know me, you know that my pet peeve is getting slapped, especially like when I'm not expecting it. Oh man, I don't know why or what that is, but oh, it just, it aggravates me to no end. This was something too that could even be taken to court. Like if you got backhanded slapped by someone, you could take it to court. It was a big deal. So Jesus was, was saying not to respond in retaliation with insults. In other words, if somebody insults you, Don't respond and insult them back. Again, this is not a physical violence thing. This is a, if somebody walks up to you and insults you, says something about you, your mama, or your friend, Jesus is saying, respond with love. Don't let it get the best of you. Although revenge would have tasted so sweet, we do see in scripture that that seeking personal revenge is not our job. It's not ours to take. Like it or not, it's not yours. Okay, in fact, we're going to read here soon, but, but it says in Scripture, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We're going to read that here in a second. Um, Martin Luther K. Jr., he said this, Martin Luther King Jr., the old law about an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. True, right? The old law of an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. It's a good quote. So what good does seeking revenge do? Sure, you had your revenge, but at what cost? Was it worth it? Did it make you a better person? Did it make them a better person? What good came from it other than satisfying that anger you had inside of you? And I'm willing to bet that even though you got your revenge, you're still angry and you still don't feel better. In fact, you probably feel worse about yourself because you allowed yourself to get to that point beyond your self-control. And then typically you go and apologize, right? If you can swallow your pride. 
The truth is when someone hurts us, it's our, our tendency is to want to get payback. We want them to feel the pain they inflicted on us. We want them to understand. But what often happens is we don't want to just get even. Oftentimes when revenge happens, you try to get ahead. You take it to a next step. You take it to another level to get ahead. I can't find anywhere in scripture that says this is okay, by the way. Revenge belongs to God. And trust me on this, if you want revenge, leave it to God. God is just. God says vengeance is mine. Let's keep reading. Matthew 5 verse 40. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Again, context is important here. Let's talk about this. So according to the law, the outer coat could not be taken from you in law. Like if you were sued, I don't know why they're taking clothes, but that's beyond the point. But, but the law was your outer coat could not be taken from you, just the, just the inner. So this shirt was referred to as a tunic. It, it was what was worn close to your skin. So Jesus is saying is give them what the law protects. In other words, you don't have to give them your coat. Nobody's going to require you. But out of love, give them your coat too. That'll show them. You want to get back at somebody, give them more than what they asked for or took from you. It's an ultimate response of love toward one another, right? That's what this message is about tonight, is responding in love. Many of us, we don't like this though, right? We don't like this verse. Most of us, we don't want anybody to have a cent more, not a penny more than I have to give you. I will give you the bare minimum, nothing more. We'll fight tooth and nail to keep everything that is ours. Have an attitude of, I earned it. I worked for it. That's mine. You can't have that. You can't take that from me. That's mine. I earned it. It's my right. Jesus says, give them your coat too. Give them more. These are difficult words. Let's keep reading. It gets better. Verse 41. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So Jesus is painting such a beautiful perspective on loving others, even when you do not have to, okay? It's making a deliberate choice to, I'm going to love you more than I'm required to. It is a deliberate decision. David Gusick says this about carrying the, the pack. It says, at that time, Judea was under Roman military occupation, Under military law, any Roman soldier might command a Jew to carry his soldier's pack for one mile, but only one mile. Jesus here says, go beyond the one mile required by the law and give another mile out of a free choice of love. So in other words, you were only required to walk one mile. At any point in time, a Roman soldier could walk up to a civilian and say, carry this for me one mile. And you would have to do it. Jesus says, I want you to carry it two miles. Why? Do it out of love. Do it out of love for that person. This is the life that Jesus calls us to live. And guys, the more and more I read the Bible, the more I realize that this life that Jesus calls us to live is not easy. It's not meant to be easy. If you think it's easy, you're in for a wake-up call. Following Jesus is hard. It requires sacrifice. It requires acting outside of the cultural norms. It requires humility. It requires serving others, even when you don't want to serve them. Putting others first out of love. Let's put this in real life perspective for you. 
Let's say your boss asks you to do a task, okay? And, and it's, it's your temptation to just do the bare minimum. Maybe it's a job you don't want to do. Maybe it's go clean that toilet. You're like, I don't want to clean that toilet. But your boss asked you to, so you go and you clean the toilet. Jesus would say, not only do I want you to clean the toilet, clean every toilet in the place, clean every sink, mop the floor. Do more than what was asked of you. Do more than what was required of you. And not out of selfish ambition. Don't do this to try and get ahead. Maybe I'll get a raise if I impress my boss. No, no. You're going to do this out of love. Do this because it's the right thing to do. Because it's what Jesus would ask you to do. And do it with a joyful heart. There's so much we can learn from these verses. Louis B. Smeads, great quote here. He says, The problem with revenge is that it never evens the score. It ties both the injured and the injurer to an escalator of pain. Both are stuck on the escalator as long as parity is demanded, and the escalator never stops. So you get in this cycle of revenge, you're tying yourself to this escalator, and and it's never going to be solved because you get revenge on them, they get revenge on you. You get them back, they get you back. You get them back, and it keeps going. And are you really loving each other at that point? Are you loving them like Jesus loves them at that point? Are you responding the way Jesus would respond? No. For those of us in the room who are married, or you live with other people in your home, for those of you who do not live in a house by yourself, if your spouse or your roommate is messy, it may be tempting for you to be passive-aggressive and say, I'm only going to clean up my messes. I'm not going to clean your messes. I'm going to clean my bathroom, your bathroom, you can clean yourself. I'm going to make my side of the bed. I'm going to put my clothes away. I'm going to do my dishes. That may be tempting. Or worse, maybe you just stop cleaning altogether. You're like, I'm not going to clean until they realize they need to do some cleaning around here. What if you changed it up? What if instead of responding passive-aggressively, you decided to serve them? You decided to love them like Jesus does. Don't just clean your plate. Clean theirs too. Take out the trash. Vacuum. Serve them. Maybe you have a friend who's always late. Every time you set up a coffee date or a lunch date or whatever, your friend's always late. So you're tempted to be passive-aggressive and show up late too? Don't do that. Treat them with love. Treat people with love and forgiveness, even when you want to treat them with anger, when you want to be passive-aggressive. It's much easier to respond with haste than to respond with love and forgiveness. That's the hard one. I'm going to respond with love. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live like Jesus would call me to live. What Jesus is calling us to do here is to respond with non-resistance. Okay? So what is non-resistance? Here's a quote. It says, what in its full meaning is non-resistance? The truest answer is that it is a form of love. Love in the face of insults, wrongs, and domineering tyranny, such as are illustrated in Christ's examples. I want to read you out of 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, this is known as the the love passage, right? The love chapter. Um, Such powerful words here. I'm almost there. There it is. Okay. 1 Corinthians 13, Jesus said, or it says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain what, church? Nothing. So let me just set this straight for you. You can do all the right things. You can do everything right. You can serve people. You can give money to the poor. You can come to church. You can love your family. But if you do not have love, it's for nothing. What if you woke up tomorrow and you had a whole new appreciation for God's people? What if instead of seeing that person as somebody who annoys you, what if you saw them as God's child? The one whom God created, the one whom you are called to love. What if you tried that? What if when that person honks at you in traffic and you want to honk back and yell at them, show them where heaven is? What if instead you responded with love? Are you hearing me? Are you with me? That passage, what we just read, it's, it's so important. Without love, this is all for nothing. You can come to church, you can serve here, you can do everything. But if you do not have love, it's nothing. This is no easy task, right? When someone hurls insults at you, whether it's on social media, maybe it's in person or through rumors, the last way you want to respond to them probably is with love. That's probably the last thing you want to do. You're probably thinking, they said what about me? They did what? And then your mind goes to a place where how can I get them back? Social media has created a space where everyone now has an audience. Everyone. You know, you look back 20, 30 years ago, it was hard to speak to a group of people. You had to actually get a bunch of people together in one place. Or you could do several phone calls, I guess. But now, you could post something and in minutes, you've got an audience. You've got people to see everything that you're saying. Not only that, you can get people to share it. So even more people can see it. It's created this space where we can, social media can be used to get revenge on others, both powerfully and very quickly. Have you noticed that people are much more bold on social media than they are in person? They may say things behind their screen that they would never tell you in person. Is that responding in love? They may even respond in ways such as, oh, I'm just going to block you. I'm going to unfollow you. Or maybe I'm going to make passive-aggressive comments on your posts or on your wall. If we want to take Jesus' words seriously, and we should, we have to choose our words carefully and respond with love. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not repay evil for evil. Anyone else have a hard time with this at times? <laughs> Do not repay evil with evil. But isn't that our natural response? Isn't that our flesh coming out? The flesh side of us wants to get back. We want to respond. You said something mean about me. I'm going to say something mean about you. I'm going to respond. The the flesh desires to get even, but the spirit desires to love, forgive, and move on. The flesh tells you that when you're treated badly at work or while driving on the freeway, your flesh will tell you that if you don't say anything or do anything, that you're going to continue to get walked on or people are going to look at you as weak. You ever been told that? You ever thought that? That's what our flesh tells us. No, I have to say something because if I don't, I'm going to be viewed as weak and they're just going to walk all over me. No, that's not true. That's what your flesh desires. 
But from what I see here, from what I read in these scriptures, we're called to respond with forgiveness rather than the same evil. Verse 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy, that's a strong word there, your enemy, not just somebody you don't like, your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, that's a challenge right there. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Invite him over for dinner. Make him a meal, him or her. If you want to get back at someone who hurts you, do what this passage suggests. It's not your job to pay them back for what they did to you, right? There's a lot of wisdom in verse 21 that says, Do not be overcome by evil. If you are a person who has a tendency to carry grudges, you're only weighing yourself down. You're becoming a slave to that grudge. When you hold a grudge, you're allowing that anger, that resentment, that evil to have a hold on you. And guess what? That's just what Satan wants. That's just what Satan wants. Holding a grudge is like carrying around a backpack full of rocks and trying to run a marathon at the same time. And you're like, why is everybody faster than me? Why do I feel so weighed down? Why is this so hard? Well, you've done it to yourself. Drop the backpack, friend. Forgive. Don't allow revenge to consume you. Sherilyn Kenyon said this, Grudges seldom hurt anyone except the one bearing them. They seldom hurt anyone except you. You're only hurting yourself. Keep in mind, God is a just God. May not be what you want. God will have revenge. May not be when you want it or how you want it. But God knows the heart. Trust in God. Again, this is not to say that Christians should be wimps or doormats. We're not saying that. In fact, it's a lot more difficult to love and forgive than to retaliate in anger. Not only that, but when you have an opportunity to get back at somebody and you have an audience and people are watching and they notice how you respond, guess what? You just sparked their curiosity. They may say, why are you different? Why didn't you respond in anger? What's wrong with you? (laughs) And you may respond and say, well, I believe in Jesus. And, And here's what I see in God's word. I'm supposed to forgive. It's not worth it. You see this in the Old Testament. In Psalm or uh, so, First Samuel 24. Before we read this, let me give you, so this is the story of David and Saul. Saul is king. He's, he's got all the power, but there's this little shepherd boy, David, who's really good friends with his son, Jonathan. And, and, and Saul is threatened by him. Saul says, this guy is going to take over my kingdom one day. He's, gonna thre- he's, he's threatening my power. So Saul starts chasing after David. He's wanting to kill him. He's like, I'm not going to let you take that throne from me. So he's chasing him and chasing him. And David, God keeps speaking to David and saying, hey, Saul is right around the corner. You might want to. So David keeps escaping. And then you get to this point. This is like the the pinnacle of the story. 1 Samuel 24, starting with verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En-Gedi. Real quickly, he's given intel, right? All of a sudden, Saul's thinking in his heart, this is my chance. I'm going to take this guy out. 
Verse 2, so Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and sought out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. 3,000, don't you think that's a little bit overkill, Saul? 3,000 men? Are you that afraid of David? Wow. Verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. This is, a, this is a good part of the story. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Yep. Uh, David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. You've got you've to value David's willingness to honor God here. You've got to appreciate this, right? David has been in fear, running and running and running away from Saul. Every time Saul got close, David would run again. And so Saul is, is, is he's got 3,000 men after him, right? And David's hiding in a cave, and here it is, his opportunity. Saul is vulnerable, he's relieving himself in a cave. David's there, and he sees Saul. Not only that, but David's friends are saying, yo, dude, this is your chance, man. This is, this is, God has delivered him into your hands. Go take him out now. You have an opportunity. So David walks up and what does he do? He, he cuts the corner of the robe. He could have taken him out, but he didn't. And why? Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, I love David's faithfulness. You've got to appreciate this. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. That's powerful right there. He recognizes Saul as being the Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed one of the Lord. There it is again. He recognizes again, Saul is anointed by God. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So now I picture this. David is, he's just cut off the robe and, and then he feels guilty. And then his men are like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And his men are ready to go. They're ready to take out Saul. And David stops him and says, this is the Lord's anointed. We can't touch him. Sure, David had the power, right? David could have done it. He had the sword. He was ready to go. Saul was right there. Have you ever been in an opportunity where you had the chance to get revenge on somebody. You had a chance to say something that would crush them, but you didn't. Or maybe the other side. Maybe you had the chance to say something to somebody in front of others that you knew would crush them out of that feeling of revenge in your heart. How did you feel after you said those words? Did they taste good? Maybe for a second, and then you felt guilty. See, David had the opportunity to take out Saul. And his men were convincing him. They were like, dude, what are you doing? I'll do it if you're not. And David's faithful to God. Check out what David says to Saul here. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul saw him, looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. You might be thinking, David, what are you doing? This guy has been chasing after you. He's got 3,000 men chasing you. Why are you bowing down there? You're putting yourself, he's going to kill you, David. David, what are you doing? Do you notice David's trust in God? Do you notice his faithfulness to God? He trusts in the Lord and he, he bows with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, 
Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. And notice verse 12. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord, what church? Avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. I love David's faithfulness. David trusted in God. He had the opportunity. He was there. I urge you, when you have the opportunity to cut someone down, remember this passage. I want you to remember that we are, to be, we are called as Christians. Guess what? This, this scripture, everything I see in here, I don't see anything that says, yep, take down your enemies when you have an opportunity. Yep, cut them down with your words. Yep, be brutal. Yeah, they deserve it. Yeah, you should speak those things to them. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I see we are called to respond with love. James 1, 19 through 20. says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, what church? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Oftentimes, I think we're slow to listen, we're quick to speak, and we're quick to become angry. We've flipped that, haven't we? But James calls us to do something different. James says, I want you to be quick to listen. What he means by that is what's going on in that person's heart? You have no idea the morning they had. Yeah, they honked at you in traffic, but you have no idea that they got an argument with their spouse in the morning and they're frustrated. You have no idea that their, their mom just died. You have no idea what they're going through. So be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and be slow to get angry. Luke says this in chapter six, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you tried that, I encourage you, pray for the one who is mistreating you, the person who is, who is mean to you, who says things to you. Pray for them, serve them, look for opportunities to shower them with love and watch how God will bless it. Are you here today? And are you harboring anger in your heart? Did you walk in this place holding a grudge against somebody? Are you plotting revenge? Have you stood in front of the mirror and rehearsed what you're going to say to that person the next time you see them? Are you holding that kind of anger and revenge in your heart? What would you do if you could talk to that person one more time? Would you give them a piece of your mind? If you answered yes to those questions, any of those questions, I think you just revealed to yourself that you're holding on to something that you need to surrender to God. I don't know what it is. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your relationships are like. I don't know if somebody has wronged you. 
But if you're sitting here today and somebody's wronged you and you have not forgiven them, I have a challenge for you. I want you to do something. I want you to find a way to serve them. Find a way to do something kind for them, something unexpected, something out of the ordinary. And serve them because it's what you're called to do. Serve them because Jesus asks you to. Because that's the way we're called to live. Go out of your way to put them first. Yeah, I'm talking about the person who you dislike the most. That coworker that you struggle with the most. That one who you, 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 you avoid. If you see them in the break room, you leave and you, you, you go back later. You see them going to the restroom and you say, I can hold it. I encourage you, find that person and serve them and love them. Give them encouragement. Allow God to have revenge. You just work on loving and forgiving. Because God is good. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, I pray for those of us in the room tonight who may be dealing with these thoughts of revenge, who are harboring anger in their hearts, who want nothing more than to get back at that person. God, would you do a mighty work in the heart of that person or those people here tonight? Would you show them how to love? Because some of them may not know how, and it may be extremely difficult. God, would you give them an opportunity to serve that person they're angry at? Would you show them how to love, how to forgive, how to treat them as you would have them treat them? God, I pray for the person who's here tonight, and they're on the fence of whether or not they want to commit and follow you, Jesus. Not sure if they want to commit to following Christianity and, 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 be, and, and following you. God, would you speak to the heart of that person right now? And if that's you, if you're in this room tonight, you're far from God, but you want to be embraced by God's love. You want to fully commit and dive in. I encourage you to say this word. Say, Jesus, I don't really know how to do this, but God, starting today, I commit my life to following you. I can't do this on my own anymore. There's a lot of things I need to work on, but Jesus, I need you to help me. Will you forgive me? Today I commit to following you and making you, Jesus, my Lord and Savior in my life. I surrender to you completely. Jesus, would you have your way in my marriage, have your way in my home, have your way in my career, have your way in me. Jesus, I'll commit to loving you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.